You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 9, 1 through 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whatever they do, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ruth. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's good to be back in the book of Luke. Uh, I took a brief uh, detour for a little mini-series on the church. Uh, and it's especially good uh, and exciting to be in the text that we're at uh, today because we're looking at a really crucial moment in the history of redemption. Uh, because if you remember way back in chapter 4, Jesus gave this really big, grand announcement about why he came. Right? He said that he came to preach the good news. He came to set captives free, to heal the sick. And so uh, from that point in chapter 4 all the way up until this point in chapter 9, that's exactly what he's been doing. So he's been going around and he's been uh, healing lepers and paralytics. Uh, he's been giving sight to the blind. He's been uh, proclaiming the gospel throughout these villages and calming storms. Uh, and really he's just been proclaiming and demonstrating the reality of God's kingdom. But here in chapter 9, this is the moment in history where it starts to be revealed that Jesus' followers get to participate in this work of proclaiming the gospel uh, and that they're not bystanders in the work of God and in this mission. So they get to actually participate in this healing and this restoration and this redemption process. Uh, they're active participants in it. It's in these verses, and you can tell. Because if you go to the passage right before this, at the end of chapter 8, there's this incredible story where uh, there's this girl, this young girl who's died. Jesus raises her back to life. And then he looks at the parents, and this is what it says in verse 56. Her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And then in the very next passage, it says that he gathered the 12 together so that they would go out and tell everybody. So there's a big shift that happens from the end of chapter 8 to the beginning of chapter 9. If you zoom out, it's happening on an even bigger scale because the first words of chapter 8 says Jesus went out into the villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And in the first words of chapter 9 say that he gathered the 12 and he had them go out and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And then you fast forward to chapter 10 and it says he gathered 72 people together and then he sent them out to proclaim the gospel. So you can kind of see this tidal wave of mobilization where God is equipping and sending out his people to get the gospel to the ends of those areas. And so uh, when you look at what's happening here, uh, you can see this context, right? This equipping and this mobilization. And when we zoom in on the first couple of verses, we're really going to see Jesus do three things. He's going to call his people. He's going to equip his people. And he's going to send out 
his people. So that's going to frame our talk today. Uh, So let's just go ahead and jump right into verses 1 and 2. It starts with these words. It says, and he called the 12 together. So before Jesus equips them, before he sends them out on any mission, Jesus calls his disciples together. Uh, Here it calls them the 12, uh, which is because there were 12 of them. So Luke doesn't get any bonus points for creativity or flashy names, but uh, it does get the job done. He called his disciples together. And in the first step in fulfilling the mission that Jesus was about to give them was to be present with Jesus. Right To be called by Jesus, to listen to Jesus. And so as we look at the rest of this passage, it's going to deal with him equipping them and sending them out. The first thing that we need to recognize is the first six words here. And he called them together. He called the twelve together. So our first task that I want us to consider this morning is to be closer to Christ. The whole rest of this passage is going to be dealing with the the sending out and the equipping, but the first task is to be closer to Christ. And here's the reality. The work of evangelism and discipleship and spreading the gospel, it begins with dwelling with Christ. Another way to say that is that God's mission begins with dwelling, not doing. Right? God's mission begins with dwelling not doing. So Jesus lays this out for us really clearly in John 15, right? Maybe the most explicit explanation of this idea. Jesus looks at his fathers and he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So we get this idea of you have to be attached to the vine because if we leave today all zealous to get the gospel out there and to spread the word, but we're not abiding in Christ. It's just, it's the same thing as if you took an apple tree and you chopped it down and laid it on the side of the road and it starts to wither by the street and then it's trying to expect itself to bear fruit at that point. It has to be connected to the vine. So God's mission begins with dwelling, not doing. So let's kind of keep sliding through this passage. It says, and he called the 12 together And he gave them power and authority. It says that he gave them power and authority. So he calls the 12 together and he gives them two things. He says power and authority. And what he's doing is he's equipping them with the things that they are going to need to accomplish this task. Right? He says these are two things that they're going to need. And so the second reality that I want us to kind of latch onto this morning is that God equips his people to accomplish his mission. That God always equips his people to accomplish his mission. The reality that I was kind of thinking through this week is that we are really quick to disqualify ourselves for one reason or another when it comes to uh, fulfilling the work that God's given us to do. We make excuses like, um, maybe I don't have enough time. That's just not my thing. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. We just find something to disqualify ourselves. Something where we kind of insulate ourselves from whatever God is calling us to do. And so I just want to say something really clearly up front, which is that God does not need qualified people. And I want us to hear, God does not need qualified people. He doesn't need people that already have power. He doesn't need people that already have 
influence. He doesn't need people that have this incredible skill set. God equips his people for his mission. And it's also important to think of the back end of that, which is that God is not limited by our weaknesses and our flaws and our shortcomings, right? That's why we can look at 2 Corinthians where it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God does not care what you are capable of in and of yourself. Your value does not come from what you can offer up to God and his work. The thing that's required from you and from me and from us is faithfulness. This humble, obedient willingness to abide in Christ and to do the work that he's given us to do. And the reality is that God's power and God's authority are what makes it effective. And so we can even extend kind of that second truth that we were looking at by saying this. God equips ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary mission. God equips ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary mission. They cannot do what they were called to do without first being equipped by the one who called them to do it. Uh, The reality is that the apostles, these guys had no power on their own. They had no authority on their own, right? These were just ordinary guys who were following Jesus around. But look what happens in Acts 4.13. Peter uh, and John heal a man, and then look what the people watching say. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What a testimony, right? God using ordinary people to accomplish his work. God was not concerned with what skills they could offer him, right? He equipped them to do the work that they were going to do. And so our second truth is that God equips ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary mission. So uh, I want to kind of zoom in even further on this. It says that he gives them these two things, this power and this authority, but it actually specifies that even uh, further. Uh, There was a specific type of power and authority that was going on here. So let me just clarify by power. We're talking about the capacity to do something that only God can do, right? The ability to do something. That's what's meant by power. And then we're talking about authority. We're talking about this right to do something that only God has the right to do. Okay, so there's a difference between this this power and authority, right? Like when we think of power, like I technically have the ability to go steal a police car and drive around like arresting all of my childhood enemies, right? But I certainly don't have the authority to do that. And on the reverse end of that spectrum, I have the authority, I have the right to go try and fix my AC unit when it goes out. But I have no ability to do that whatsoever, right? These two things have to be married together, right? You have to have this this power and this authority to do the work that God was calling them to do. And so when we look back throughout Luke, we can actually see both these things on full display throughout the ministry of Jesus, right? Back in chapter 4, he casts out demons. Chapter 5, he's going to heal a leper. Later in chapter 5, he's going to heal a paralytic. Uh, In chapter 8, he's going to raise a dead girl to life. Later in chapter 8, he's going to stop a storm. Later in chapter 9, which we're in right now, we're about to see him feed 5,000 people. So this this power, this authority was on full display. Look at what it uh, it says in Luke 
chapter 4, verses 32 through 36, where you can kind of see the people recognizing these two dynamics. It says, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. This is Jesus. He was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And they were all amazed, and they said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And so up to this point, Jesus had just been walking throughout Galilee, displaying this unimaginable power and authority, right, over every demon, over every disease, over the weather, over death itself. Just this incomprehensible power and authority. And all throughout Luke, we keep reading these words like, they were astonished, they were amazed, because they couldn't make sense of what they were seeing. And then here, in chapter 9, Jesus takes this power and this authority and he hands it over to his followers for the sake of the gospel. He's going to share it with them so that the gospel would be proclaimed in power. And Acts is going to give us a glimpse of what happens when God's people are, are kind of empowered by God's spirit. Acts 4 verses 7 through 10, they heal a man. And, they, and then the people that were watching said, and they inquired, by what power or by what name? In other words, under whose authority did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Right? God did not need someone that had any kind of inherent skill set or any kind of power. He took these ordinary men and equipped them to do the work that he was calling them to do. Right? God doesn't need to call you know, the uh, spiritual avengers of the world to go tackle Thanos. I, I'm just going to admit right now, I have not seen all the Marvel movies, so I don't even know if that analogy made sense. Uh, but just bear with me on that. It felt right in the moment. But the reality that I I want us to hear is that God delights in taking ordinary people and equipping them and empowering them to accomplish this extraordinary mission that he's given them. He delights in it. And we see this kind of on full display in Matthew 28, right in the Great Commission, where it says before, we're all familiar with the part that says, go and make disciples of all nations. But right before that, have you seen what Jesus said? He says, all nations. Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's all precedented by his authority and his power. God equips ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary mission. And I want you to hear right now, if, this feels, if it feels like there's a disconnect between what we're reading, what we're seeing in Scripture, and what you've experienced in your life, I just want to encourage you, Ephesians 1.13 says that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. And so the same Spirit that dwelled in them dwells in us. And we recognize there's a different dynamic because these men were apostles who had a kind of unique gifting, a kind of a unique power and authority, but it is the same Spirit that lives and is active today. And so I just want us to hear that. So God calls his followers. He equips his followers but I even want to go kind of a layer deeper because it specifies this power and authority. It says he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority 
over all demons and to cure diseases. So this is a difficult passage to make sense of nowadays, right? Because we're not walking out on the street and seeing demons fly out of people. Most of us are not seeing these miraculous healings on a day-to-day basis. So this can be a little confusing to make sense of. But it says he gives them power and authority specifically over all demons and to cure diseases. And the question is, why? Well, there's, there's two reasons. By giving his disciples this type of power and authority, he is displaying the realities of God's kingdom. Okay, so think about it this way. The power over all demons is evidence of God's power and authority over spiritual matters. God's authority and power over the human heart to bring a dead heart back to life. It's displaying that power and authority, his ability to offer complete restoration to the deepest part of the soul. He is sovereign over all spiritual enemies. And the second thing is that this power to cure diseases, it's evidence of God's power and authority over the physical effects of sin. So there's two different dynamics at play. They're not just saying the same thing, right? This is talking about God's authority and his power over addiction, over sickness, over anxiety, over depression, over fractured relationships. It's going to bring healing. When God's kingdom comes crashing into this earth, it's going to bring healing to fractured relationships, to failing bodies, to injustice and tragedies, broken marriages. There's going to be a type of reconciliation that's hard for us to imagine talks up in scripture about this metaphor of, of a child playing with a snake. Just a type of reconciliation and restoration that don't even make sense to us. We can't even fathom it. And so this gospel, this, this gospel of the kingdom specifically that's brought to the people, it's not just physical, it's spiritual. And it's not just spiritual, but it has a physical dynamic. So we are called, we are equipped And I want us to look at the very next words together. It says, he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So what's happening in this moment is Jesus is commissioning them. He is sending them out, which is funny because these guys were apostles. Literally, you break that word apostle apart in the original language. It means one who is sent out. And up to this point, that's really just by name. These guys had not been sent out for anything. They were just following them around. So this commissioning is important. And he was commissioning them to carry this gospel of, of the kingdom to a world that is hurting and fractured. The disciples were being sent out to explain that there were two kingdoms. There is this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of the earth that is full of brokenness, of the physical effects of sin. It's being led by a false king, Satan, who has one mission, and it is to kill and to steal and to destroy. That's the kingdom that they're aware of. And he says, but there is this other kingdom, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of light, where there is healing and restoration and redemption. And so the message that they were going out into these villages and telling people 
was that every person who's ever stood on this earth and breathed a breath is by nature because of our sin. We are citizens of this kingdom of darkness. And it takes this miraculous work of God to transfer someone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And they were to go out and tell people that miracle has come. King Jesus is here. This is the gospel of the kingdom that they were going out and proclaiming. They were proclaiming this healing and restoration and redemption that was available to them. And they said there, were, there was something that was necessary for those people, and that was to respond by laying down their lives and placing their full trust and allegiance in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel they were called to announce. And church, I want you to hear, this gospel should just be like a downpour of rain on parched ground. Like, I think of Soweto right now, And just this burnt, dry ground, this soil that is just being turned to rock, the dust, this 108-degree heat that's somehow creeping in to this room, even with four air conditioners blasting on full power. Like, there's this crippling heat, this dryness around us that's like a spiritual reminder or a physical reminder of a spiritual reality that this world is groaning and in need of this living water to come and revive the plants and quench the ground and refill the water supply. Because church, 2,000 years after Jesus came, there are 3.2 billion people on this earth that have no idea that they can be restored into God's kingdom. They don't even know that they need to be restored into God's kingdom. They're clueless. 40% of every human being on the earth right now has never heard this message that he sent them out to proclaim and then sent 72 out to proclaim and then sent us out to proclaim. They're clueless. And I'm not just talking about the villages out in Iraq and Nepal. I am talking about your neighbor and the person that you work next to and the person that cuts you off in traffic. Right? There's a need for this gospel to go throughout the earth. Last week, we were getting snow cones with some of our good friends. And in the middle of the conversation, he just kind of interrupts me and says, can I ask you some questions that I have about Jesus? And he just starts asking these questions. Last weekend, my wife is running through our neighborhood She sees this woman that's really distraught, struggling. She stops, talks with her. Turns out this woman's husband had just fallen. Uh, It did not look good for him. Earlier that day, she'd been told that she has to take her, her dog to the vet and get it put down, but she couldn't physically get the dog from her house to the car to take it to the vet, and she was distraught. So my wife got to sit and talk with her and pray with her and help her. Right, two weeks ago, I was talking with one of our college students who said, I've been, you know, kind of believing in Jesus, but I, I'm insecure about baptism, whether I'm ready to be baptized. And Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get to baptize him in the river. I'm talking about right here in Bell County, people need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us to hear that there are no bystanders 
in God's kingdom. Every single believer has a role to play in fulfilling the Great Commission, without exception. Every single person in this room has a role to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. There's no spiritual B team. And I also want to pause and help us recognize how incredible of an opportunity this is. Oftentimes when we're talking about this being sent out, it's like this plea. But I want us to recognize this from the other end of this this paradigm, that this is an opportunity. The fact that mankind rebelled against the living God, instead of wiping them off the earth, right? he sent his son to pay the penalty that we deserved. And now we're not only the recipients of this salvation message, we actually get to be the messengers of it. Like, we get to carry this message to people that have never heard it and watch the gospel transform a human life. We get to watch a dead soul get brought to life. This is an incredible opportunity that you and I have to participate in this work of restoration and healing. So I also want to recognize um, I can be a little passionate. And there are some people here that are thinking, this is great. I have no clue how to go about this. Uh, I want to pause and I want to just give you six really easy ways that you can kind of be sent out right now, this week. Just six things. Just grab one or two of these and say, I'm going to try and build this into my rhythm this week. Okay, so if you've got something to write on, this is a good chance to start writing some things down. Uh, I'm going to sprint through them. First of all, share the gospel with someone. You're like, thanks, David. I didn't pick up on that. Well, that's just, it's a good starting point, right? We don't want to overlook that. But consider one person that God already has in your life that you have a relationship with that you can share the gospel with. Tomorrow when you go into work and they say, how's your day going? Just pause and look at them and be like, you know, my morning is going really amazing. I had some great time with the Lord this morning just reading my Bible and praying. And it was just really, really satisfying. Like, are you a spiritual person or have you ever read the Bible? Just find something, right? To just segue into a spiritual conversation and just instead of saying, good, I'm tired, busy, you know, a lot going on. Just be intentional with getting the gospel into your conversations. So that's the first thing is share the gospel. Number two, you can disciple a younger believer. Okay, if that sounds intimidating and you're thinking, I don't know how to go about that, uh, find an elder or someone on staff that can walk you through it, but really don't overcomplicate it as well. Just help them understand and apply the word of God to their life. Be a godly example and resource for them in their life. If you want some low-hanging fruit of where to start on this, find one of our college students that's here that's separated from their family right now, Right? They've got, they're, I, I get to spend time with them every single week. They're just growing and thriving in the Lord. And the opportunity to be a part of just sitting next to them and trying to help them walk through all these different stages of life is such an honor and a blessing. And so college students, if you're hearing this and you're like, I don't want this, just run out the door right after service so nobody grabs you. Right? But just find someone that hasn't been walking with the Lord quite as long as you and just seek them out and love them, and help them apply the gospel to their daily life. So disciple a younger believer. The third thing is serve with your community group. Okay, in a couple weeks, groups are going to be starting back up. It would be a really natural time for you to say, hey, as a community group, what if once a month we served in XYZ area? Just 
pick somewhere, right? As a, as a church, we support a number of different organizations that we believe in, we care about. Go serve one of those. Body of Christ Community Clinic, wonderful organization. Hope Pregnancy Center, wonderful organization. Heart and Hands here in Salado, wonderful organization. Go out and volunteer and just say, what can we do to be a blessing to your, to your organization, right? Work with Lauren and the Good News Club where they go out into the schools every Thursday and they kind of have a VBS in the public schools, right? If you want a really, really easy way to start, do this. Go to the local nursing home, play bingo with them one night out of the month, and then share the gospel with whoever will talk to you. I did this in college, and what I learned is you can absolutely butcher the gospel, but by next week, they will have completely forgotten, and you can just do it right over again. It's like a training ground, okay? This is a great opportunity. If you're really nervous, start there, right, and then move on to other places, And I say that jokingly, but just find somewhere where your community can go and serve and be a blessing to the people around us. Number four is one I really, really, really want you to encourage encourage you to consider is to support a missionary family, to commit to supporting a missionary family. So this could look like you financially supporting their work and then praying for them once a week as a family unit. It's a great way to start. Uh, Just like the organizations, we have a handful of missionaries that we love and that we care about and would love to connect you with, to be praying for them and just getting their newsletters and knowing how you can support them and care for them, right? We've got the Clarks in Poland. We've got the Klumpenhauers in the Netherlands, the Brewers in Oman. We've got the Harrises in Turkey, the Blonders in Greece. Just reach out to us and say, hey, I would love to connect with one of these families. Can you just point me in the right direction? Right, We will bend over backwards to help you however we can. But I would love for us as a church to just be intentionally supporting the work of the gospel throughout the earth. And it doesn't always have to happen from the top down where the church is saying, this week we're doing this. You and your family can be a part of advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And these families and partnering with them is a great way to do that. Number five, just meet and serve your neighbors. Meet and serve your neighbors. So you can commit to just trying to meet every single neighbor within 100 yards of your house over the next month or six months, however long you think it might take you. Now, if you're someone that lives out in the boonies of Salado and you don't have any neighbors, don't, don't follow this one, right? Pick a different thing on the list, right? But just commit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know everyone kind of in my circumference of my neighborhood, and I'm going to look for opportunities to love them and to support them and to pray with them and to share the gospel with them. And number six, you can consider going on a short-term missions trip. Uh, So we're getting things kind of prepared for next summer where we're going to be taking some trips. But something I even want to encourage you more than that is to consider doing something here locally. Uh, If that's a terrifying idea to you of just going out and sharing the gospel here in Bell County, grab someone that went on our Netherlands trip and just be like, hey, I would love to do this. I don't know where to start. Would you go out with me? And they would love to, I'm, I'm voluntold, you know, everyone on this trip. I said, well, hey, guys, this is a surprise, but uh, you're about to get volunteered to do this, whether you want to or not. But I know that knowing these people, that they would love to partner with you in that, okay? So grab Larry Zhang or Jody Miller uh, or Wendy Clements or Puckett or Jerry Sakley or myself, hunt one of them down and just say, could you go with me and, and just help me figure out how this even looks of just going and sharing the gospel with somebody, 
Okay, you don't need to do that if you already feel that boldness and conviction, but church, we have a work to do. There is a mission that still exists today. And, it, and following Jesus means more than just nodding your head in agreement on a Sunday morning. God has given us the opportunity to partner with him in this work of getting the gospel into every nook and cranny of this planet. So I want to transition to these last few verses of the text today. Uh, Jesus is going to get very practical with them and give them some how-tos. And I really just want to take away two implications from this section. All right, so you can read it with me. He says, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So here's the first implication. Don't have two tunics, okay? If you're that person that's like, this is my chance to go in the closet and bust out my tunics that I've been holding on to for this moment, this is not your opportunity. Hold on to those tunics, okay? Uh, No, I'm kidding. But uh, the first one does kind of go in line with that, which is have this mindset and this confidence that God will supply. God will supply, right? He says, take nothing with you. Why? Because he wants them to have this unrelenting dependence and confidence that he will take care of whatever need comes up, right? God will provide. God will sustain. God will protect. Just this complete dependence on God. I'm going to do what you've told me to do, and I'm going to have complete confidence that you're going to take care of me in the process, So the first implication from this kind of in section here is that God will supply. We see see it explicitly in Philippians 4.19 where it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God wanted his people to have this unshakable, desperate dependence on him. The second implication from this kind of in passage is this call to dust off your feet. And it's a lot more difficult. Verse 5 says, wherever they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And he's saying that the message of the gospel, it requires a response of repentance and faith. It requires it. And those who do not are rejected by God. The shaking off of their feet was supposed to be this this kind of warning and witness to those that are hearing this message. And so in the same way as God's messengers today, we are called to tell people of the importance of repenting and turning from their life and clinging to Jesus. And I want us to hear that the gospel is good news, right? It is incredible news. It has radically transformed my life. And it has radically transformed the life of people that I love and care about. But we don't want to soften it by making it sound like it's this option that people can choose to add on to their life if they want or just not really worry about it 
if they don't. We don't want people to have this mindset that the gospel is something that can just be, you know, kind of nodded with as someone says it, have a general good feeling about it, and giving this false sense of security that that's it. There's this call to complete allegiance and trust and faith in Christ, to the person and work of Jesus. And I don't want us to miss that this morning. Because if you're hearing this and you're just kind of nodding along, thinking, sure, that's, I don't disagree with what he's saying, I want to lovingly tell you that what Scripture is telling us is that following Jesus means turning away from your old life and placing every piece of confidence and trust and hope that you have in the person and work of Jesus, and there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. This is an important part of this gospel message. So I want us to hear that, and for those of you who are in Christ already in this room right now, I want you to remember this incredible reality, that God wants to use ordinary people, just sinners like you and me, who seem like we have nothing to offer. He wants to use us to carry this gospel of the kingdom to a world that is hurting and in need of it. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. God, I cannot believe that you have given us the opportunity to even be aware of your kingdom, to be able to hold your words in our hand, to have been raised in a place where we get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. God, thank you so much that we get to be a part of your kingdom. And that not only do we get to hear this message and receive this incredible news, but we get to go out and partner with you in making it known to people that have never heard it before, people that are suffering and hurting and lost and broken. And we get to bring them the only thing in history that has the ability to heal a human heart to bring a dead soul to life. You're so good. You're so kind. I beg you, as a people, that we would joyfully respond with proclaiming this message to whoever we can. That you would help us to be intentional in advancing your kingdom here on earth and proclaiming this healing and restoration that can be found in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray.